1 Corinthians chapter 13, you better have it now. Uh, Here's what it says, three verses. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Nate, real quick, come bring me the hi-hat and give me a stick because I'm going to make noise today. Verse 2, because I'm going to show you there's a thin line between the anointing and the annoying. And and the difference is the love. Verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor... And though I give my body to be birthed, but have not love, it all profits me nothing. God, I thank you that the devil is scared of this church. I thank you that the devil is scared of the disciples in this church. I thank you that the devil is scared of the ladies of this church, God. And I'm praying that, God, you would shape us individually as the church, shape us locally as the church, and God, you know the church universal needs a good spanking. Would you shape us and make us more like you? God, when we be dependent, even in this series, may we be reminded that the church was not built on organizational leadership, but the church was built on the anointing and hunger for God and hunger for souls. God, today as I preach, I pray that not a heart would reject this word. I pray for open hearts. I pray that it go right to those who it needs to go to just the way it needs to go. And at the end of the day, God, we pray when it's all said and done, that God, you would be glorified, your people would be edified, and Satan and his mother-in-law would be terrified in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 On your way down, just look at somebody you like next to you and tell them the house that love built. The house that love built. Let me give you a little context for 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul, oh, Lord, let me get this together. Paul writes 1 Corinthians during his third missionary journey near the end of his three-year ministry in Ephesus. 1 Corinthians was one of the first three letters that Paul writes in the New Testament church. The city of Corinth, similar to the Bay Area, or similar to America rather, was incredibly economically strong and militarily strong. What that did was lead to hedonism, paganism, and strange philosophies. So when Paul comes into the city of Corinth, because he's edging from his ministry in Ephesus, he does not come to a city that's ripe for revival in the sense of everybody's praying, everybody's prophesying, nobody knows God, yet Paul feels led to go to a dark area. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians, you've got to understand that this is not a deeply established church. In reality, this is somewhat similar to us, a church plant with a house full of new believers. We're not exactly sure, but Paul writes this letter uh, when the Corinthian church is probably somewhere between age three and age five. Paul receives oral and written updates about the church of Corinth, and he thinks these fools are nuts. Now, I know Apostle Paul wouldn't use fools, but I'm using the NIV version, the Negro International version. And Paul thinks here's the updates from the church of Corinth, and the church of Corinth is an absolute hot mess. Unlike what we deduce from Paul's encouraging letter to the church of Philippi, the church in Corinth was in trouble. Y'all, they were divided, they were immature, they were abusing the sacraments, they were having sex with everybody, even their in-laws. 
they were abusing spiritual gifts and even abusing each other. The apost- Are y'all still with me? I'm just set, we're just having a salad for a moment and then I'll bring the steak out and we'll go home and eat for real. They're absolutely immature, abusing each other. So the Apostle Paul had founded the church, and we see the early church around Acts chapter 18. You can see where he he hooked it up there. And when he hears of the young church's struggle, he writes them a letter. And it's a bold one. He tackles the issues that face that church. He reprimands them, rebukes them, talks to them about their shortcomings, and encourages them in love. 1 Corinthians, though, is not a step-by-step analysis that Paul gives them as to how to fix their issues. What do I mean? They have a list of issues that we're going to see in just a bit of things that they were struggling with, and Paul doesn't write them and say, this is how you fix the sexual immorality. This is how you fix the uh, abuse towards sacrament. This is how you fix the way that you're treating the poor. As a matter of fact, this is all Paul says. Though he gives some instructions and some admonishments, he says, this is what's leading my instructions towards you, that in everything that you do, Give God glory. I want to ask you an honest question, and this is the first of many tonight. Can you say that every area of your life is meant and purpose to give God glory? When you think about the job that you're in, is it to give God glory? When you think about the relationship that you're in, is it to give God glory? When you think about the opportunities that are open to you, do you have in mindset giving God glory? Because Paul says predominantly across the, the book of 1 Corinthians that your life is to be giving God glory. If you're still with me, say yes. So by the time we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is setting order to how spiritual gifts should be used in the midst of church services. He continues talking about spiritual gifts over in chapter 14, but apparently in the middle of chapter 12, talking about prophecy and spiritual gifts, then jumping over to chapter 14 and talking about spiritual gifts, Paul takes a break and says, whoa, hold up, wait a minute. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter 13. Because he's, he's, he's getting ready to tell them you should all prophesy, you should all desire it, let's go after tongues, let's believe for healing. But before I really finish this, Paul with a little bit of attitude and musters up, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, and he says, though I speak with tongues of men and tongues of angels. Stop there. What Paul is telling us is that I'm not just one who speaks in tongues. And notice that he separates the two. And that's just a little bit of added evidence about the miracle of tongues. He tells you that I speak in tongues of angels, but he says I also speak in tongues of men. And I'm, this isn't my message, but this is a parenthetical moment and I'm preaching and you're listening, so let me say it. Don't ever be so deep that you can't just be regular. All right, thank you, Jay. I found my amens back there. Um, Some of y'all walk on cloud nine all the time. Can we just have lunch with no prophecy? (laughs) Can can we just not turn everything into a brain? And I say this because Paul says, yo, I love speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues of angels. I'm not talking about Kelly. Y'all leave her alone. Um, Yeah, I speak in tongues of angels, but check this out. I also speak the tongues of men. He was incredibly intelligent. And to all of you who can speak in tongues but can't speak to me in English, rebuked. For all of you who know how to pray heaven down but don't know how to apologize in English. I knew this was going to be short on amens today. Um, Paul says, I speak in both, but here's what I need you to understand. He says, but if I have not love, I have become, watch this, a sounding brass. What Paul is saying is that no matter what I do, If I don't have love, 
It's annoying. Do me a favor, Nate, open it up so I can make more noise. A little bit slower, we're only waiting for you. Because we're trying to figure out what the world doesn't want God. Truth is, everybody loves the Father, they just struggle with loving his kids. Because the church has been great at preaching the words of God, come here, but they don't preach the tone of God. And so we preach his words, but we don't have the love that backs it up. So we're telling unbelievers who don't even know Jesus why they ought to be living saved instead of preaching faith in Christ alone. You're not, don't yell yet, Dell, it's too early. You're not saved because you voted Republican. So stop telling the world that they're unsaved because they voted Democrat. Y'all got real nerve. Unclench your butt cheeks so I can talk. Come here. You're not saved because of works, lest you can boast. Paul says, what will win the world over, we're going to see in a moment, is not your good preaching. It's going to be love. So I want to read it one more time for Paul's sake. Are y'all hanging with me? I'm going to have fun today. Pastor Andrew, if this is a bad message, just let me know on Wednesday. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have gift, prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods and be the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but not love, it profits me nothing. Look at it. Look at how annoyed y'all look. Look at how mad y'all look. No wonder church is empty because all they've been hearing are clanging cymbals. All they've been hearing are preachers, preachers who don't love the people that they're preaching to. All they've been hearing are worship leaders who love worship but don't love God's people. And no wonder the world is plugging their ears to the gospel, not because Jesus is not good, because according to scripture, Christ is the desire of nations. But if we don't get out of the way, how do they see the desire of nations? Maybe your family members don't want Christ, not because they hate religion and organized religion. Maybe they just haven't heard the love. Did you notice that I was reading scripture and nobody cared? It's so quiet. Man, we turned Presbyterian real fast. Um, No, it's all good. I'll get y'all back. Uh, you, You notice how many of you actually plugged your ears? And the truth is, come here, if I kept going, the church would be empty. Because who's going to sit here no matter what I'm saying? And I'm a good preacher. I'm so good that I listen to my own sermon, send myself an offering, act surprised, and I get blessed. Like, I like preaching. I'm a good preacher. But it doesn't matter how good I preach, if I keep banging that thing, everybody in this room, eventually, some of y'all might hang in there. Zach might, because he, he wants to go to heaven. He's like, okay, I'm going to just submit. This is annoying, but I'm going to sit. But the majority of us would leave. Why? Not because what I'm preaching is not good content. You can't hear it over the lack of love. I want to make this real for you because some of y'all think that your family members are going to get saved if you just give them another prophecy. What if you took them out to lunch? Because <laughs> I'm telling you, even in this house, there's more, de- I'm trying not to shout too early because I got some good stuff that I need to teach, but there's more deliverance happening over dinner tables than altar calls. Many of you have been set free over Starbucks coffees where I just, because y'all know I'm nosy and I get all up in your business, and you, you mess around and get free, and, and you feel loved. You heard Caroline talk about, I can come in here, and let me tell you, Caroline, thank you, Jesus, from a mighty long way. Carol, 
Caroline used to watch me preach and I used to think, this girl is going to jump up and bite my face off. And I told our team, I said, hey, we got, we got these folks coming in and they're not, you know, living for the Lord, but I just don't even bring up sin or anything. Just love on them. And our people just loved on them. And you saw as weeks went by, Caroline just come and she'd sit on the thing and just whatever. But as people loved and the worship was just as good. The preaching was just as good, but it wasn't transforming her. Part of what was transforming her were people saying, oh, we love you. Not bringing up the fact that you dress like a dude. Oh, y'all been away at the retreat, forgot how real I am. Come on back. <laughs> Short memory. <laughs> I'll fix that. Um, you, you know, and, and you saw week by week, as she got loved on, as the Spirit of God started touching her, as she didn't feel judgment, you said, I'd say, lift your hands. And she, and see, start seeing tears come down. And slowly, and eventually, she, she's ushering, she's serving, she's doing all that stuff in, a, in an environment that's not judgmental because she felt loved and not judged. I love what Pastor Andrew says, and, and it's something that I'm trying to apply constantly in my life. The way that we stay away from judgment is we stop jumping to conclusions and start jumping to curiosity. What do you mean, Pastor Dell? I was talking to somebody who's a weed head today. For all the people who are not African-American, weed head is somebody who smokes a lot of weed. And I was talking to them today, and they were saying, man, I was telling them to come to church, and they're not here, so I'm going to talk about them. And they said, uh, man, I don't really go to church no more because everybody judged me because I smoke weed and all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, I've never even brought it up, but now that I know that you smoke weed, what's going through my heart is not that you're a weed head, not that you are this or that. Here's my thought, because I'm not jumping to conclusions. I'm jumping to curiosity. So here's my thought. I wonder what makes her feel like she has to smoke weed. I wonder why she's escaping. And what happens is that strays me away from making a judgment on how bad of a person she is so that I can choose not to love her because many of us have given ourselves permission not to love people because they don't follow our rules or they don't follow God's rules. We forgot what rules we were following before we met the cross. <laughs> Don't, you better amen loud because I know your testimony. I'll tell it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Y'all got nervous. Breathe, breathe. And I told him, and, 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 and what helps me to stay away from judgment to be able to love people is I move my heart from this place of this is what you are to I wonder how you got here. But I wonder why the world doesn't want to hear our gospel. The Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. But if it's too loud with your lack of love for me to even know that he's in the room, that's why I say constantly that everybody loves the Father. It's his children that he struggles with. If you're still with me, say yes. I want to ask you this. What noise does your life make? Is it a sweet sound? Or when people see you coming, do they, oh, here she come. Here come that church girl. Here, here comes that dude who's always, he's just judgmental. He's going to always say, but it's so funny because I'll, I'll walk around friends who are not saved and they'll be smoking weed and all that stuff. And I'll come in and I'll be like, oh, Pastor Dell's here, Pastor Dell's here. And then people who know me are like, it ain't nothing. Just keep smoking. <laughs> Why? Because if you're going to keep sinning, I'm going to keep Christianing. And I know at the end of the day, the love that I have is going to overwhelm the sin that you're living in. And God can do more in me staying silent and not judging people, that's what we're nervous about. Because we don't really understand the power of the gospel and the cross. It got you. When we say 
we love something, in our English language, it sucks. Because it doesn't give a full repertoire of what love should be. So we say things like, I love pizza. And everybody said? Amen. <laughs> and then we say, I love my mom. Say, I love coffee. And then... And the reason I point this out is because our idea of love is so muddled down that we don't understand biblical love. That when Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verses 1 through 3 about how we should love, he uses a very specific word, and I'm going to get to it in just a moment, but I want to talk about the other words that the Greeks use for love so we have an idea of where we're going. If you're taking notes, write these down. My favorite, eros. Eros is that romantic sexual love. I'm not having sex. Don't get nervous. I want to, but I'm holding on in Jesus' name. No, 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 we gotta shake y'all up because y'all came back dishonest. I need y'all to open up. Um, so you have eros, and these are, are Greek terms for love because it's important that we understand there are different types and levels of love. So the first, for all my note takers, the first love is eros love, romantic love. Then you have phileo love, P-H-I-L-E-O. That's friendship love. That's what I have with my brother uh, Andrew. And then you have storge love. This is love between a family, mom and daughter brother and sister, and then you have, <laughs> nobody say amen, and I'm going to try not to look at anybody, um, you have mania love, look at your notes, look really close, this is crazy love, mania love, this is obsessive, this is stalker status love, they literally had a word for stalkers, <laughs> and so you have obsessive mania love, then you have ludos, L-U-D-O-S, this is playful love, we would call it in our English vernacular puppy love. It's that, look, I hear, oh, that must have been Michelle Kwan, just a love bug. Just puppy love, just sappy, you know, the stuff that makes me uncomfortable. And then you had pragma love, P-R-A-G-M-A, or P-R-A-G-M-A, yeah, that's right. Enduring love. This was an aged love. This love you can't get till you 50. This love we've been walking together for a long time. We start looking like each other. That long age, we've been through a lot of stuff kind of love. Then you have uh, fellatio love, which is self-love. Because how many people know you need to learn how to love yourself so that you can learn how to love other people? But then you have the last love, and this is the one I want to focus on. This is agape love. Agape love is that the only love out of all of the other seven loves that has nothing to do with us receiving and everything with us giving. When I was studying this, because I don't speak Greek, but Google does. And when I was studying it, the commentary was saying that this is the only love that is bigger than yourself. We're all have this space. I know you haven't heard this since children's ministry, but we all have this space within our heart. And I, I believe that space is only reserved for agape love. And we were all meant to receive and give agape love. But agape love is that perfect love. And you have to be careful, especially to those who are in romantic relationships or even friendships. No one can perfectly love you. As hard as they love you, as much as they try, no one can perfectly love you. And it's important that you understand that because I watch so many marriages crumble from spouses trying to get a love from a partner that they're supposed to be getting from the Lord. You are going to be misunderstood sometimes. If you've been misunderstood, say amen. You're going to be talked about. You're going to be uh, hurt at times. And it is not, every love on this earth is an imperfect love, but agape is that perfect love. That's the love that we're trying to walk in. So I want you to understand that context that when Paul says, I want you to learn how to love, what he's saying is, I want you to learn how to love outside of yourself. 
I want you to give a love that only God can give. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 7 as we continue, the word says this, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love isn't puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It's not provoked, doesn't think evil. Love, verse 6, does not rejoice in sin or iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Everybody say, ouch. Because if you walk in conviction, you read that and you go, man, I don't know if my love lines up to biblical love. One of the reasons this message was birthed was because I was devotionally reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and every now and then, when Paul is speaking to me, I put my name in there to see if I match up. And so I started reading, Dale suffers long. Dale is kind. Dale does not envy. Dale does not parade himself. Dale's not puffed up. Dale does not behave rudely. By the time I got there, I said, Lord, Come here, because you know how I feel about customer service, and I really be trying, but if not for grace. And I was reading this, and I was going, so often I tell people I love them, but I've never checked the markers for love. It's easy to say you love me. If you know me, I'm an Enneagram 8, I could care less about what you have to say. Prove it. Some of you are mad because I've actually t- said that to you. <laughs> it's like, Pastor Dell, I love you so much. Prove it. Show up to church consistently. <laughs> Submit. (laughs) Ooh, did I cuss? (laughs) It's like I'm a prove it type of person. But what Paul says here is before we go into this and we talk about how you need to love the world, how you need to love people, love your brother and sister, I want to make sure that you don't give that cheap form of love. Oh, I love you, sis. I love you, bro. Let's do lunch, bro. I love you, bro. He's like, I'm going to give you markers for what love is that if you don't align to these things, you can't fully say that you are walking in agape love. Now, I already told you our love is broken. It is imperfect. So I don't know until we get to heaven if we'll ever get this down pat like we should. But here is the goal. So let's take this step by step. I have a lot of points, and I'm going to say them fast. Take a deep breath in and write quickly. He first starts off by saying agape or love suffers long. I want to hang out here for just a moment because I want to know, are you done with people after just a moment? I want to ask, do you have recurring relationships? Friends in, friends out? Are you the type of person that's, what do they call them, a a, a heyday friend? You're there for the good times, but you're not there for the bad times. You don't know how to suffer long. I want to talk to family members who have drug addicts in their family. I'm one of them. And my brother, he's, he's in a mess, a bind right now. And part of me in my flesh wants to go, oh, I just cut him off and move on. But love compels me to suffer for a long time. If that makes sense, say yes. So when it comes to love, one of the markers for love is being able to suffer for a long time, not changing churches. Because somebody rubbed you the wrong way. Mm. Love is kind. Now, I want to talk about something real quick because some of you miss niceness up with kindness. You ever watch 600 Pound Life? That's one of the reasons I just, I'm going to just be this way because they all have, you know, wives and spouses. So I'm like, it ain't the weight. <laughs> like you watch 600 Pound Life and everybody's in a relationship. Nobody's on a dating app, right? It's like you watch 600 Pound Life 
And I'm looking at, because at certain weight, you're like, how are they even getting food? How are they getting bigger? And then you see some knuckle skinny head with a bucket of chicken and two bowls of ketchup. And you're like, and they interview them and they go, what the heck are you doing? They go, well, I just, they, they want it. And I just want to be nice to them. They are being nice, but they're not being kind. Did you get that? Yeah, it's nice to give them what they want, but what if what they want is poisoning them? I want to ask you, some of you need some guts so that you can be biblically kind. Yeah, biblically kind will tell the truth. Biblically kind, some of you have, have Christian friends that you're trying to be nice to, and you know they have secret sin. And you're like, oh, I just, I just want to be nice, so I'm not going to talk to them about their weed. I'm not going to talk to them about their alcoholism. I'm not going to talk to them about this issue, because I just want to be nice. And you call that your accountability partner. You're being nice, friend, but you're not being kind. Now, let me talk to the other group that really loves truth, and you love to sacrifice uh, kindness on the altar of truth. I'm going to just say it like it needs to be said. That's not biblical. I anoint you with a filter in Jesus' name. Say, I receive it. Many of you need to learn that you cannot say things in your rawness because your flesh is sinful. You have got to filter what you say through the eyes and through the spirit of love. And, and, and here's the problem. Some of us, we just, well, I'm just standing for truth. What about grace? It's equally as valuable. It's important that we understand how to be kind. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not jealous all the time. Love does not parade itself all over social media. Here's what it says, love does not parade itself. And we live in a culture that makes business out of parading oneself. Y'all ain't gonna like the gospel I preach today. I was sitting down years ago with some, I won't say their names because you would probably know them, but I was sitting down at the beginning when influencers became a thing. I was sitting down with a bunch of influencers in LA because uh, I knew some celebrities and they were like, hey, you fix me, can you fix them? And I was like, well, it's all up to Jesus, but I'm open to talking to anybody. So we're sitting at the table and I don't even know what influencers are. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And they're trying to explain it to me and they start going around the table, Nate, and they start talking to each other and they're like, making fun of each other. They're like, oh, that's why you only got a million and a half followers, and I'm like, well, that's why you lost five million followers. Who y'all? And I started asking, I said, what do you, I asked the person next to me who had the most followers, he had like 20 million at the time, I said, what do you do for a living? He goes, oh, I'm an influencer. Tried to explain it to me, I said, so you sing? No, I don't sing. Uh, do you act? I don't act. Are you a model? No, not a model. What do you do? I just, I just take pictures and Tell me more, you make money? I can take pictures. And he started telling me, he started giving me advice because they all looked at me, they said, uh, Pastor Dell, how many followers do you have? Mm, got a healthy 2,000. <laughs> and they were like, this is what you need to do. And all the advice that they gave me was about making much of myself. Not only making much of myself, partner with other people who make much of themselves and make much of yourselves together. And what the church says is that it's okay for me to do that because it's my work. Your work is sinful. I'm going to say it again because you didn't like it the first time. If you are parading yourself around, I ain't scared of none of y'all. We took the offering. Y'all can look at me in that tone of voice if you want to. I am scared for this generation who is fiending for attention because they don't have the Lord's attunement. 
See, here's the difference between attention and attunement, and this is the source of the problem. Many of us missed out on attunement because your parent was supposed to pay attention to your needs, make you valuable, make you feel like you were valuable. But many of us grew up in broken homes where we missed out on that. And so what we do is we try to find the cheap form. Y'all know about the cheap form. For all my folks who were raised in the hood, you know, we didn't get frosted flakes. We got flaky frosteds. And they didn't come in a nice box. They came in a big bag and you had to bend over. Don't, I know half of y'all got EBT cards. Don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. The struggle is real, right? And it's so funny because I grew up on off-brand cereal. So when I got a little bit of money, a little change that was, you know, I, I paid for the real stuff and I was like, I've been missing out in Jesus. I mean, because the, the, the off-brand stuff, it came stale. Like, you didn't even have to leave it. Oh, I heard a testimony. Somebody said, yeah, it came stale. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I actually like cereal. <laughs> what the heck was I talking about? Y'all distract me. I know what I was talking about. See, when you don't get the real thing, you'll always look for the cheap thing. And when you don't get attunement, which is what all of us are looking for, we're looking for, for that thing where God knows us, you'll settle for attention. And so instead of waiting for love, you'll settle for lust. Instead of waiting on purpose, you'll get a nice nine to five job, even though God's calling you to missions. I wonder if this generation would become more whole if we just stop parading ourselves. Some of y'all, I'm not a big fan of doing this, but some of y'all really do need to go on a social media fast. All right, let me look at my notes. If they don't like this point, move on. Okay, no, I'm going to stay right here. Because what God wants to do prophetically, and I just want to say this prophetically, he's about to raise up a nameless, faceless generation. He's going to raise up a generation that can raise the dead, heal the sick, watch the leper cleanse, and they're not going to need to pass out business cards. Yeah, I've had people leave this church because why can't I be on the worship team? Why can't I sing and lead like that? First of all, you couldn't hold a note if it was in a bucket. Second of all, you're too prideful and arrogant to lead worship for God's people. Third of all, you don't like people. But God's about, he's about to raise up a generation that's going to be great and nobody needs to know our name. Nobody needs to know who we are. They don't need to follow us. Screw following me. I got folks following me in real life. I want real influence. All right. I started off with like 20, amen, I'm down to like five bobbleheads. We're going to work with what we got. Love is not puffed up. Do you talk about yourself a lot? Are you the person that no matter what we talk about, you're going to make sure you talk about you? All right. Hmm. I want to tell you, arrogance is an enemy of love. Watch this. Because you cannot love people that you believe yourself better than. It's hard to love people that you think you're better than because you're puffing yourself up. So you love hanging out with the celebrities and the wealthy and and, and the influential people. When's the last time you sat with the poor? No, for real, not in your heart, but in real life. When's the last time you humbled yourself to not be puffed up? I I can tell some of y'all don't like this. Don't worry. Next Sunday, we're preaching a better message. Just come. Just write this one off. But we're going to learn how to grow up in our love. We're going to learn how to stop blaming everybody. Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet. All right. Um, help me preach this. One. I'm going to preach this one gentle. <clears throat> Love does not act rudely. I'm preaching this one gentle because this is about me. Um, <laughs> Amen. 
Y'all, I got a couple things just so you know. Sometimes I'm rude and I don't know it. I'm just hardwired to be blunt and, and, and I, it's a constant process to not be. But sometimes I'm rude because you deserve it. That's never what the Holy Spirit has said. But that's what happens in my heart. You don't have to be honest. I'll tell my own testimony. And here's the problem. I was telling one of the members of our church who is kind of wild too. I said, people with our personality types, we've got to get good at apologizing. We all fall short. And, and can I just say it on the flip side? Some of y'all need to get thicker skin so that you're not as easily offended by rude people because some of you are the ones that are going to help heal the rude people. Point at Andrew. Point at Pastor Andrew. Why are y'all so rebellious? Point at Pastor Andrew. Come on. Come on. Yeah, point. That, that's a, yeah, there you go. Y'all don't know how to point. This Jesus. Point at Pastor Andrew. If not for Pastor Andrew, I wouldn't be as healthy as I am today. Some of you, whoa. <laughs> Shut up. Um, if not, why? Y'all think I'm bad now. Y'all can stop pointing. Y'all think I'm bad now. And I'm not really that bad. Y'all just have never had a pastor, to be honest with you, for the first time. Um, but but when, before, I had this thing because I didn't know I struggled with anxiety and social anxiety. If I'm, and I don't like meeting new people. I don't like loud music. I, I, don't, I signed up for the wrong job. <laughs> um, but when I would meet new people because I was uncomfortable, I'd be like, um, I don't know you. Go away. Now I only say that in my heart. <laughs> but there was this one time and Pastor Andrew told me a story. We weren't great friends and uh, I didn't really care for Pastor Andrew back then because he was a little bit of a people pleaser and I was the opposite of what I would call a people or I assumed him to be a people pleaser. And so one time it was his birthday and so we had a mutual friend that I was really close with and I said, I'm gonna cook for my friend. And I guess it's your birthday, so we'll put that to the side too. I cooked some crab y'all and it was bomb. Bless my whole soul. But for no reason, I looked at Pastor Andrew and I said, I just want you to know that this guy over here, this is my friend and this is why I'm cooking. You're not my friend. Just want to make it clear. You're just getting blessed peripherally. Now, anybody who knows Pastor Andrew, nothing's going to stop him from eating. <laughs> He's like, well, even dogs need crumbs from the master's table. And then one day, Pastor Andrew was going through some things and we were at a dinner table after a hard time in his life and he was starting to figure out who he really was, that he really wasn't a people pleaser, but he had never been given space to really voice his opinions and for people to listen. And we were at a dinner table and he was trying to express himself and people kept shutting him down. I said, y'all shut up and let him talk. Because all of a sudden, I began to see him. But what? And now we're planting a church together that our church would not be half as awesome as it is, because it is awesome. It wouldn't be as half as awesome as it is without his heart and without his vision, without his friendship in my life. Because he keeps me from killing some of y'all in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, he pulls me back. And, and what if he did not have the love and tenacity to handle a rude person? Some of y'all have given yourself permission to not love rude people. And part of it is because you don't want to be associated with their sin. Jesus made himself of no reproach. He hung out with prostitutes and sinners and heathens. Why are all your friends churchy? Get some folks who cuss. Get, come here, get some black friends. Get a couple, and black people, get some Asian ones. They can cook. That's probably gonna give me an email. But one of the things I've had to tell myself is that I never have permission to be rude. So when I get called on it, y'all know I'm quick to, I'm, you know, I know I did it five times. I'm gonna try one more time, I'm so sorry. Lo <laughs> Rebellious spirit, love, 
is not rude. Next one, love does not seek it's on, what do I get out of this relationship? If it don't prosper me, I don't want it. If it don't purpose me, I don't want it. Love does not seek its own. If you ain't improving my life, I don't want to be connected with you. Maybe they're not there just to give. Maybe they're actually there because you're whole and they're there to receive. But you're so busy seeking more stuff, more stuff for yourself, more fame, more associations. Love doesn't seek its own. Love is not provoked. I hate this one. I feel provoked right now. Love is not provoked. What is Paul saying here? Love is not reactive. You ought to be able to tell me something and it not change my whole world and not freak out. You ought to be telling me, you ought to be able to tell me your deepest, darkest sin and I got you. No, we don't need to do all this other stuff. No, I got you because love is not provoked. I want to ask you this. Do small things set you off? (laughs) I hear all the amens that you're not saying. I posted something the other day. I said, it's amazing. Plastic takes about 500 days to have a meltdown. It takes me one minor inconvenience. (laughs) Anybody with me or is it just me? Y'all go let me preach to my... Okay, just me. All right, I'll listen to this later and get blessed myself. Love is not easily provoked. I want to talk about John and James. We call them the sons of thunder. And they were in ministry with Jesus, some of his deacons riding with Jesus. And they're at a mountaintop, and Jesus was trying to do uh, ministry to the Samaritans, but the Samaritans were not receiving. So John and James get on top of the mountain, God, should we send down fire and kill them all? Well, that escalated kind of quickly. Like, we're going to kill all of them? Because they wouldn't open their doors to it. But how many of us are like that? Jesus looked at them and said, man, that's not the spirit in which I come. Because according to John chapter 317, write that down. I, Jesus says, did not come into the world to condemn the world. But through me, the world might be saved. I want to ask you, when you're, when you're provoked and you want to punish people for their pain, I want to tell you, that is not the gospel. We may deserve punishment, but mercy triumphs over judgment, and we are supposed to be walking in mercy. Love is not easily provoked. We shouldn't be easy to get to you. Now, I'm not saying we get here overnight, but this is the goal. I got a few more. Love does not think evil. Do you rejoice when bad things happen to the party that you didn't vote for? Come here, Democrats. You just love it. Come here, Republicans. Do you, get, do you get happy when people in your life experience pain? I remember when Osama bin Laden died in America Rejoiced. One of my buddies, Francis Chan, put out a video that he got in trouble for that said, we ought not be rejoicing over the fact that someone who's made in the Imago Dei, the image of God, has died. Yes, he was a terrorist. Yes, he was. But we're rejoicing over evil that has happened over somebody. Look, I know it's real uncomfortable hearing this because love is not for the weak. Biblical love is a mature love. And I want to ask some of you, because I'm with you. If we live in America, there are people who are doing wrong. There are people who need to be punished, who need to be judged. I get that. But do you take joy in their punishment? That's not love. You see the person who talked to you funny. They talked to you wrong. They got a flat tire, see? Yeah, praise God. 
praising God, slapping myself. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. It's not a loving thing to be with your friends who rejoice over the sin and compromise that they're living in. That's not love, friend. But not only that, love doesn't rejoice when I'm sinned against or when somebody's sinned against. Love is different. <laughs> not only that, oh, wait, let me say this, because this is what we love to do. We love to sin against people and tell them they ought to have thicker skin. We talked all kinds of wrong about them. They got offended, cried, and had their feelings. Oh, they're just too sensitive. That's not love. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It repents from it, even when it's iniquity against somebody else. Love rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Come here. Look at me for a second. When it comes to relationships, are you a burden bearer? Or do you... That's not my drama. I'm staying. That's not mine. And you had the nerve to call yourself an intercessor. Don't worry. I only got a few more. Maybe we don't love in the way that carries burdens for people. Because we constantly think about how people didn't carry burdens for us. And we get stuck on what we haven't received. And we allow it to paralyze us from loving at the capacity God's called us to. Love believes all things. It's not cynical. It's not pessimistic. You're not spiritual because you're suspicious. Come here. Oh, yeah, I just know that spirit. No, you don't. And even if God shows you that somebody's struggling with something, how do you deal with it? Oh, yeah, I recognize that. I'm going to just stay away. That's not love. Love believes all things. Then watch the next one. Love hopes. It's, watch this. It's optimistic. Love is believing for something. When's the last time you talked to a friend who was putting together a business plan and instead of trying to bring them down and shoot their hopes down, because some of y'all are dream killers with realism, it's like, oh, I've got a dream to open up a business. But what about finances? <laughs> Man, I'm just believing for marriage. Oh, but you're ugly. <laughs> Some of y'all are dream killers. And it's probably because half of your parents killed your dreams. Somebody say it with me. Say hope again. Okay. Love hopes. Not only does love hope for things, love hopes and people. Some of y'all are crazy, but I'm hoping that you won't always be crazy. <laughs> a little bit. I leave it a little crazy because it is collide. <laughs> you got to be like your leader. You got to have a little bit. I have more than a little bit. But uh, love hopes in people. When you see people at their worst, do you believe that that's who they are? Yeah, I used to preach when I was a youth pastor, and some of you will know this sermon. It's like, who are you really when no one's looking and it's all dark? And all the 16-year-old guys are like, well, I look at porn. It's like, uh, I guess that's who I really am. God spoke to me one day and rebuked me because I was preaching, man, whoever you are in the dark, whoever you are in the secret, that's who you are. That's not the gospel. The gospel says no matter what you are, here's what God calls you. No matter, you are not what you do, you're who he calls you. 
Some of us have lost our hope in people because we've been disillusioned. We've been hurt, we've been broken, we've been beaten up. But I say let hope rise again. The reason this church is going to survive is because we're going to hope in people. People are going to come in here on the edge of divorce and we're going to hope for restoration. People are going to come in here broken, beat up, and I'm just hoping. I used to watch Lena and Caroline come into service and I just, Lord, this is a hard one, but I'm hoping. I just hope. I got, what do you have to lose in hoping? I wish I had more time. Jesus, some of y'all are saying I don't. Oh, love endures all things. Please hear me. Love doesn't give up. Love sticks with somebody. Love sticks with a broken church. Well, Pastor Dell, I don't know about him, but we're going to see what the end's going to be. This is where God's called me, and I'm, man, I guess... He sent, this is my assignment. I'm just going to love the church. I'm going to love the body of Christ. Some of us have too much give up in us. Look at your neighbor. Say neighbor. Come on, be obedient. Say neighbor. I need you to give up on giving up. If we're going to see the nations transformed and, and the house, the church that God's called us to build, we're going to have to be able to have enduring love. But not only that, love never fails. I just want to tell you, because here's the problem. We don't really believe that love wins. This is why we stop loving. Because what's going to happen? I'm just going to love and get hurt again. Some of you have told yourself, I'm just say single till I die. Because you're tired of getting hurt. I want to tell you, if you love and you love well, love always wins. You might not win on this earth. But I'm telling you, there's a, we need to preach about heaven again. Because there's a crown and glory with rewards waiting for us, depending on how we loved down here. Let me finish this up. Is anybody getting anything tonight? Look at verse 8 in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. And here's what Paul is saying. Paul says that eventually all of the spiritual gifts will fade away. This is an encouragement to make the crux of our lives invested in that which will remain. Paul is not disarming or disowning the gifts of the Spirit. He's just saying that one day those things are going to fade away. The only thing we're about to see that's going to survive and last is love. So don't put all of your eggs in the basket of spiritual gifts. Put it all in love. I hear people who come to me because we're a prophetic house and they they just think, man, I can't really minister because I don't have the gift of prophecy. Do you have the gift of love? Well, man, I can't lead worship like Matt. I'm not as good looking as Pastor Dale. I'm not... So I can't do, but do you have love? Because it's not, my, it's not our, my good looks, though I am, it might change a few folks, you know. I'm hoping it'll change one. You'll get that on the way home. But when it comes to love, mature love, Paul's saying don't rest on gifts when it comes to ministry. Rest on love. Then in verse 9 and 10, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, cessationists theologically will use this to say, well, the Bible is the perfect and it's come and there's no more spiritual gifts. We all know that Jesus is the perfect one. Jesus, that would make me nervous. I said, Jesus is the perfect one. Thank you. I was waiting for some agreement there. Jesus is the perfect one. And when the perfect one has come, here's what Paul is saying. We won't need spiritual gifts. Can I tell you something? When we get to heaven, nobody's prophesying. 
Let me tell you what we're not doing in heaven. We're not witnessing. There's no evangelism. But there is love. And Paul is saying, I need you to have a perspective because you guys have been trying to prophesy over everything. Because Corinthians, they were wild. But I want you to put your eggs not in the basket of spiritual gifts, but put it in love. Verse 11. This is a strange verse. I didn't even understand why this was in there because this doesn't seem to have anything to do with love. But in verse 11, it says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but, somebody say but. Come on, say it with more umph. You're Pentecostal, say but. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I wanna talk about the difference between immature love and mature love. Because what the scriptures are highlighting here is that the way that you have been loving Corinth is an immature, childish love. But what I'm asking you to do is grow up and mature your love because that list we just went over, that's not for babies. That's not for those who are just in it to win it. No, 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 because you're going to take some losses in loving people. You're going to love some people who are going to cut you off. You're going to love some people who are going to hurt your feelings. Paul says, I need you to grow up and have mature love because childish love is fickle. I got to uh, watch some of the kids uh, this weekend and y'all pray for me because I'm gonna be recovering for the next three months. Um, but babysitting kids, uh, toddler, or I don't know if they're toddler, but children, has really made it easier to not have sex. I am abstinent for a long time. I've been for a while, I'm gonna be for longer because these children, they were a blessing. <laughs> is she looking? No. Okay, they were a blessing. But I'm telling you, they talk from morning till night. And their mom texted me, they said, have they been talking your ear off? And I'm just lying, no, they're okay. But that one little juicer got up in the morning, seven in the morning, and I mean, not even 30 seconds into being alive. Where are we going today? Can I play with the play iPad? Can I watch? I was like, do you ask questions before you breathe? Like, shh. Jesus. But here's what I realized. They got mad at me because, you know, my nerves are bad. That's what my grandmother used to say. I get it now. Um, so we had to do a timeout, just a talking timeout. You can do whatever you want. Just don't say anything. Just give me five minutes. And I told him, I said, if you keep talking, I'm going to add another five. We did an hour. <laughs> I gave him mercy. It was like seven minutes and they still freaked out. But boy, he was mad. He was... <laughs> And I, these aren't my kids, so I can't beat them the way I wanted to because my grandmother would beat me for breathing wrong, you know. I don't know how you breathe wrong, but I felt that he was doing it, you know. I, but it was so funny because I was like, okay, you can talk now, but hey, you mad at me? Yeah, I'm mad. You want some round tables? Yeah! Can we get some round tables? And can we have boba? Can we have boba? Oh, we can't have boba. Can we have a milkshake? I have some money. Can we go to Starbucks? It's like his love went real quick from I hate you to give me. And that's what Paul is saying here. That childish love is only invested to the point it can receive. But mature love says, I'm not just here to be loved. I'm actually here to love. Can I ask you honestly, where is your love at? Are you even trying to love hard people? Some of us aren't even loving the, the easy people. Maybe that's why we stay away from small group, because we might get too close and be invested and actually have to love somebody. Maybe that's why we show up a little bit late and, and leave a little bit early so nobody talks to us, because they might pull us in and then I'll have to start actually loving them. And I don't want to love again, because I got hurt last time. 
And childish love is only invested as much as it can receive, but mature love says, what can I give? I'm almost done. This is my last one. Verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We're not to be confident in our giftings, not even in our spiritual giftings, because we are limited in our knowledge and understanding. All of our confidence should be in love. All of our eggs should be in that basket. And if you know anything about Paul's writing, there was one thing that he really loved and it was heaven. When you read the book of Philippians, he said, I really don't even want to live anymore. Not that I'm masochistic or suicidal, but I just know what heaven's going to be like. I've heard that my father said that Adrian, we're going to get there and there won't be any more crying. I won't have to pray for anybody with cancer again. One day we're going to get to heaven and nobody's going to be broke. Overdraft doesn't exist. We're going to walk on streets that have been paved with gold through pearly gates. The homeless will have a home because he said it would be up there. When we get to heaven, he's going to take every tear. The ones nobody knows about, he's going to dry every eye. And we're going to get to see those eyes that blaze with fire. I don't know if we'll get to do this, but I want to touch his hair and be like, he was black. (laughs) I want to see the tattoo on his thigh that the scripture says is faithful and true so I can bring all the Baptists over and see, see, tattoos are okay. Come on. Jesus has one. But Michelle, I can't wait because we're not going to have a sad day ever. We're never, so we're never going to have to muster up the courage. We're never going to have to muster up joy. It's just going to be present. Y'all, there's no calories in heaven. <laughs> Cellulite, come on. It's coming to an end. But here's the part that gets me. After a thousand years, we're going to look at him and still be amazed. Because for the first time in all of eternity, you and I will get to see what love looks like. So Paul says, as one who's encouraging you in just a moment in chapter 14 to go into prophecy and and lean on the spiritual gifts, before I go there, I need to tell you that in all of it, the only thing in ministry, the only thing in life that really matters, the only thing that saves is true love, and love is not a feeling. Love is commitment, friend. You sign up, and you have no idea what's coming down. But can I take it farther for all those who are believers tonight? Love is not an emotion. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. Play something out in here. Look at 1 John chapter 4. I'll give you a minute to turn there. It's a quick scripture. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. If you're watching online, just type true love, true love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Here's what it says. We love him only because he first loved us. 
I was doing a study, a word study, I love word studies, and I always have to check with my, my real theological friends to make sure I'm not messing it up. But I noticed something. For those of you who have a, like a New King James Version or a King James Version, what your scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, we love God because God first loved us. But then there are some of you who have NIV or ESV, and yours says, because, let me, let me say it again, for those who have NIV, here's what most of yours says, we love because he first loved us. I, I thought this was confusing because in one text it says, we love God because he first loved us. And then in another text, it leaves God out of the first portion, and it just says, we love because he first loved us. So I called my friend, and he said, it's because in the language, in the Greek language, you can say both at the same time, and they be equally true. That what Paul writes, and I think Paul was a genius, and so he, he puts a little bit of a wordplay to say, yes, we do love God because he first loved us, but he's saying, we just love because we were first love. Have you ever been in love? I'm watching Sarah and uh, Pastor Andrew, and they're disgusting because they're always hugged up. They don't care if you're just visiting their house. They just, they're going to do what they do. And eventually they're going to say, we're going into the bed. I was like, okay, I'm putting my earphones on. God bless you. Um, but have you ever been in love? You know, you know, first love is like, you know, that, that love. Your friends see you and girl, what's going on with you? Why are you looking all bright? You're, and it's like nothing can bother you when you first fall in love. You get a flat tire, and you're like, it's okay. I need the sun anyway. Let me ride a bike. Electric bike, but bike. And it's like you're in love, and you just start frolicking. It's only when you're in love that you frolic, you know? Just frolic. There's not a cloud in the sky. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You depressed. I need to get you on some apps if you get you in love. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. No, bring it down. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get too excited. I'm still preaching. <laughs> but then have you ever gotten your heart broken? I was in the Philippines uh, years ago, close to 2010, I think. And I was dating this girl, and y'all, she was hot. She was all I asked for. To, and this is all I asked for, hot and holy. <laughs> in no particular order. <laughs> and we were dating for about six months, mostly long distance. And I go to the Philippines because I was there to do some orphanage work during Christmas. And y'all, this was before iPhones and all that stuff. She calls me to break up with me as I'm getting dressed to go to the orphanage. Do you know how painful? I just believe there's a special spot in heaven. <laughs> and I just remember I was, I was crying. I was, I was in the fetal position. And then my driver and translator knocking, Pastor Dale, Pastor Dale, are you ready? Uh-huh, yeah, I'm ready. This is not, wash my face. Y'all, I went to the orphanage and I love my kids. They were beautiful, they were awesome. No matter how bad they were, I just loved them. But nothing could make me happy, man. I was just mad at everybody. Man, isn't the sun nice? Look at that cloud. Look at these beautiful kids. Yeah, whatever, feed them. Because when you get hurt and you get brokenhearted, it makes it hard to be able to love. Here's what 1 John chapter 4, chapter 4 verse 19, Paul, what, what the writer is saying there. He's saying the only reason I'm able to love Zach is because I've experienced a great love. And to whom much is given, much is required. Stand with me. And this is my last question for you. 
having been given such a big love, are you giving it away? I, I titled this message, The House That Love Built, because when I was reading about the church of Corinth, man, they were a hot mess. And I thought, oh, this reminds me of Collide. The leadership was a hot mess. The saints were a hot mess. The finances were a hot mess. I said, well, I'm in good company. The church was only three to five years old. I was like, at least we're still in our second year. We got a little grace. And Michelle, I'm reading this thing and I just start crying. Because y'all don't get to hear these conversations, but me and Pastor Andrew, we dream a dream, y'all. We love everything that God's doing now, but we got dreams for where God's taking us. And as I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because we've come through a heavy season as a church, those who are visiting, just put a pause, and this probably won't be as relevant for you, but we've come through a tough season. We've gone through a lot of hurt, a lot of baggage, a lot of brokenness. We're digging deep. And I'm just going, Lord, I'm talking to my friends. They're saying, how's the church doing? And I'm lying. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. Perfect. And praise God. We got intercessors and praise and worship leaders. And everybody loves everybody. And nobody hates anybody. And, you know, all just. <laughs> but in reality, I, I got to be honest. Sometimes me and Pastor Andrew will talk or I'll just be by myself. And I'll be like, Lord, I, what am I doing wrong? Can we, like, what, what, where are we going? What's happening? And this is what, what God spoke to me as I began to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Dale, all you're doing is building a house with love. I was like, Lord, no, no, no. This one hates this one. This one almost tried to kill this one. I almost tried to kill that one. This can't be what love looks like. And the Lord said, love is messy, friend. We don't like to preach it, but the cross is bloody. The cross was not it was not easy. And the Lord unctioned me. He said, Dell, repent. Lord, what do I repent for? Because you've given yourself permission not to love. There are people that you just don't like, personality types you just can't hang with. There are people who, because my big thing is don't betray me, don't stab me in the back. And, and the Lord said, what about that whole turn the other cheek verse? Yeah, yeah, y'all think I preach hard to you. It's only because he preaches it harder to me. But Lord, they talked about me and I paid their rent. Can you love them still? So I'm like, Lord, they don't deserve it. Neither did you. I don't have anything else. But I want to offer this as a response to what God's doing here. A couple things. One, some of us just need to repent because we haven't loved well. And COVID made it worse because it gave us permission not to love people, not to sacrifice, not to go out and eat and spend time with people. And we forgot that we're ministers of the gospel. So we one need to repent, many of us. Secondly, there are some people in our lives that God's calling us to love. And here's the deal. You can't love them without the Holy Ghost empowering you to love them. There are some people in your family that you just, Lord, if the rapture happens for them tonight, I'll be all right. And the Lord's saying, I want you to love them. And you need to actually pray, God, would you pour your agape into my heart? Then here's the third one that the Lord told me to tell. So don't get mad at me on this one. He says, I want you to tell your members. Because whenever the Lord gives me a hard word, he's like, those are your people. Like, I want you to tell your members, they've been called to love this church. 
It's like, oh Lord, I don't like, I don't wanna say that because people are gonna get weird and uncomfortable and that's how cults start. You know, he said, that's how families start. Some of y'all are members, but you haven't committed to love. So I just wanna ask you, do you need to respond in that? And if so, as we worship this last song, I'm gonna ask everybody to stay. Maybe you need to spend some time at this altar to one, repent, one, say, Lord, fill me with agape love, or three, maybe you, you feel this unction, Lord, I do need to love better at Collide.